Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. So Sarah, we're going to be talking about this Held versus Montana court case. Um, a, a lot to unpack there. We're, I think, in my mind, at a bit of an impasse when it comes to the science of climate change. I mean, the science moves forward, but you've got qualified, renowned scientists on each side. I don't think there's true agreement on what the science is, is actually telling us about man's impact on, on our climate. Yes, we have an impact. But I don't think we can really measure that in realistic terms at this point. So, I mean, we could all be, it could be net zero energy tomorrow, but we wouldn't work. We wouldn't have food. We wouldn't be able to go anywhere. We wouldn't have any kind of quality of life. That's not where this direction is supposed to take us. So how do we get to a, a better and, and um, more friendly, more green friendly energy sector in this country? I, I don't know if the courts are the place. We're going to talk about this held decision today with Kendall Cotton of the Frontier Institute, who recently just introduced an amicus brief in this case. Here today on Voices of Montana, I'm not the person to explain it. Kendall Cotton, um, maybe he, you're not the person either uh, because it goes really deep into this. But um, welcome. Kendall's uh, the CEO and um, of a front, president and CEO of Frontier Institute. Uh, Kendall, um, looking into this case, you know, I don't know if we do have maybe an impasse in climate science. I don't know where we're at in terms of understanding it. But I think as uh, and welcome, I appreciate you being here as you guys introduce this uh, amicus brief or amicus brief, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, in this case, you are bringing forward a lot of really good points. Why don't you we just get into it and, and tell us what this case is all about? Hey, that sounds great, Tom, and, and good to be here. Um, you know, this, this is a very concerning case. You know, from, from our perspective, um, if this held versus Montana decision is upheld, um, this could unleash endless litigation on nearly all economic activity in Montana. It, it essentially provides the ultimate veto authority to these radical groups that are constantly litigating to stop our most critical projects. So uh, we and the co-signers of our brief um, believe that this has serious implications for um, future economic prosperity and also the rule of law. Go back um, and talk about this um, Held versus Montana. It's a, a, a group of young kids. Uh, I mean, and this goes back, I think, to like uh, 2020 originally, 16 young people. Some were as young as two. I don't know how they are qualified to, to get in and, and file a case in this regard. And, and some now um, are, are adults in this. But um, it was a climate litigation uh, that was talking about a, a constitutional portion um, uh, well, a portion of our Constitution, I don't know if, if it's an, an amendment, I actually think it's right in our Constitution, our state Constitution. Get into this case so we can understand these arguments. Sure. So, you know, something important to note is that uh, this is actually kind of a first of its kind ruling in a nationwide campaign that's been going on for years of similar children's suits, uh, ch children's lawsuits over climate policy and against energy development. And uh, this Held v. Montana case was actually uh, the first case that was allowed to go to court. And, um, and, and ultimately, the district court struck down 
um, because of this lawsuit, two recent changes to Montana's environmental permitting laws and essentially determined that these 16 Montana youths were injured by the state's contribution to global climate change. And therefore, they had standing to sue the state and bring the case. Um, you know, it's really interesting if you look at the complaint that was filed by these kids, um, the injuries they're claiming are like being anxious about glaciers melting and uh, losing sleep because they worry about, you know, their favorite animal, the, the, the pika, uh, going away because of climate change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, bring some serious questions about the validity of this case and, you know, whether courts should be involved with this at all. Justability. Um, I think that's an important part here. And, and by the way, uh, it is Frontier Institute. What's your what's your e- email address? I was scrambling this morning. Uh, did, oh, here it is. Frontierinstitute.org. Uh, plain and simple in that regard. And uh, it's on the front page there so folks can access this brief. And I suggest they do. It's not real difficult reading as well. Uh, but right off the, the top, you talk about a, a provision in our Constitution, actually, about justability. Uh, what is that? Well, it's a fundamental aspect of our constitutional separation of powers that limits the governor, the government's power and ultimately protects our freedoms. Um, I think it was, it was James Madison that said that allowing powers to accumulate in any you know, one government body is you know, the very definition of tyranny. And so that's what you know, these requirements um, for justiceability um, uphold. It's this idea that courts in the United States are limited to deciding only actual cases and controversies. And so that means that, you know, if you're a plaintiff and you're bringing a lawsuit, you actually have to show that you have standing to challenge um, those laws in court. And that means that you have to be able to prove that you've been harmed specifically. uh, And there's something that the court can actually do about that that would fix that harm. Um, And the key word here is with those requirements is specific. And when we're talking about global climate change is something that affects every person on earth. And, you know, if it's caused by humans releasing carbon dioxide, well, that's nearly every human that has ever existed for the last 200 years has either cooked their food or heated their homes through, you know, either burning wood or fossil fuels like coal, oil and gas that releases carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And so there's some serious questions about whether, you know, the the injuries that are being claimed here in this case are enough to warrant a lawsuit and actually be heard in court. And so for our perspective, the argument that we put forward in our brief was that really the question here is what role should courts be playing in in setting climate and energy policy? And our answer is none. And I like that. It's it's right there. Um, And it's in the uh, amicus brief itself. But also in your statement, the real question raised by this case is what role the court should play in developing public policies to address global climate climate change. The answer is none. These important public policy decisions should be made only by the people's elected representatives in the political branches of power. And that's why um, you, you challenge uh, justiceability. Uh, standing is one thing, but prudence. Is it prudent for the courts to exercise their judicial power here? If it's not prudent for the court, then you would ask, where's the prudence at? And, and you're saying it's in our legislative branches. That's right. That's, that's how our Constitution is set up. And, and, and that's how things work in America. The, the legislative power should be reserved for the people's elected representatives in the legislative branch. And that's where we can have real debates about these important policy issues uh, like climate change. And we can make determinations about what is the right policy for the people of Montana. 
And, uh, you know, we and our co-signers, we had uh, a, a great group of folks and organizations who joined our amicus brief, representing not just folks in the natural resource community, uh, organizations like the Coal Council and the Montana Mining Association, but also groups like the uh, Association of uh, Oil, Gas, and Coal Counties and the Taxpayers Association, who are concerned that the litigation that results from this case being upheld would threaten tax revenues and economic activity all across the state. So if we look at then um, the impact of this ruling, which I, I think we should, but when we look at environmental rulings, um, I think courts are, are reticent to address uh, the public impacts of these potential rulings. What's what's the direction toward that? Um, I know in the Endangered Species Act, we're specifically directed not to look at um, the financial impact of, of decisions regarding this. And I think that's a grave error in that. And that needs to be changed. Um, what, what do we see here uh, that, that's similar in this case? Yes. Well, um, remember, you know, some of the laws that are being challenged here have to do with environmental permitting policy. And in Montana, the environmental permitting that that's, you know, kind of the heart of this case is not focused on necessarily regulating, you know, specific regulations about environmental policy. This is all about doing the uh, bureaucratic paperwork involved with uh, investigating the environmental impacts of any state permit or action. And so what this essentially would do if this case is upheld is give these radical environmental litigants the ability to go in and say, if you're building a power plant, um, well, you haven't done enough research on how this impacts climate change. And so you got to go back to the drawing board with your permit. And so that's what we call the ultimate veto authority on critical projects in the state. Well, I'm not sure there's much you can prove um, undeniably about climate change. Uh, So, you know, I I think that calls into question any court ruling. Well, I shouldn't say any, but we're talking about this level of court ruling. So how much then do we need to understand the impact of climate change individually, corporately, globally, state versus country? How much do we need to understand that impact before you really see a case like this be decided? Yeah, well, again, that's why we say these are discussions that should be had in the legislature uh, where there's a representative process. You know, that's where that's where we can have real public debates where people can come in and make their arguments for either side of this. They can present data and the science and, you know, our representatives can make law accordingly. But policy shouldn't be driven through this litigation in the courts and through courts essentially dictating policy to our representative branches. That's not the way to do things. And so, you know, if we want to address climate change, if we want to have, you know, maybe a, a more strict environmental policy that, you know, considers, uh, you know, global emissions, we can debate that. But that has to be done in the legislature. So then what compels the court to to consider this impact or what compels the court to consider your argument that it is not the right place for um, this discussion? Right. Well, Tom, this is something that is a bit of a pattern we've seen with Montana courts. It seems that they're, they're very much motivated to take on environmental cases or cases that implicate, you know, the Montana Constitution's right to clean and healthy environment. And so I think that, you know, there, there is a bit of, a, a, of an eagerness, I guess, 
to take on a case like this hmm. and make a ruling about how this implicates Montana's clean and healthy environment. Um, and so I think that there's a little bit of a, of a bias um, from the side of the court on this issue uh, to even go so far as taking this case and agreeing that the, uh, the plaintiffs would have standing here. So uh, that's something that's concerning and definitely a, a pattern we've seen elsewhere. Um, but this case is, like I said, first of its kind. It goes beyond any that have come before it, where uh, we're not just talking about a particular mine or a particular power plant or you know something in the physically in Montana. We're talking about this abstract concept of global climate change and how that might impact 16 kids in Montana. Kendall Cotton again with us here from the Frontier Institute. It's FrontierInstitute.org, uh, very much uh, a Western um, organization. Uh, they, they believe in the spirit of the Western frontier, and, and I appreciate that. You look at their grassroots efforts and their principles, and uh, as I've noted before, um, I think they stand by those. Uh, economic uh, opportunity empowers people. When Montanans control their own health care decisions, uh, their communities thrive. Um, responsible use of abundant and beautiful land. Um, that's on their webpage as well and other aspects. And there are a lot of work they've done in regard to that, a heavily um, research-oriented organization. We'll come on back and, and talk more here about this held decision. Uh, uh, we'll find out where it's at, actually. I don't know, Kendall, um, I don't recall, but I know it was in August. W- was there just a an injunction issued on this um, real quickly? Or uh, um, what's the next so, step in this case? So this has been appealed to the Montana Supreme Court by the state. And so what's happening right now is the Montana Supreme Court is collecting different arguments. They collected the state's brief that makes their arguments. And then briefs from groups like ours that have filed as friend of the court briefs or amicus briefs. And from there, they're going to be reviewing all of that information. And then uh, I think several months from now or you know, possibly even more, then they'll be looking at making a decision to whether to uphold the lower court's decision. Kendall Cotton, again, president and CEO of Frontier Institute, a grassroots organization. They're going to lean to the right conservatively. Um, a lot of focus on the economy, a lot of focus on health care. Um, our, our way of life, public lands, individual rights. Um, and they have filed an amicus or amicus brief uh, when uh, regarding this held versus Montana decision. Uh, and again, it's uh, kind of hard to, to summarize it. Um, it was where uh, a, a group of young folks had challenged a particular um, uh, permits uh, and uh, also a couple of laws that were recently passed as well. Um, based on the provision in the Montana Constitution, which protects the right to a clean and healthful environment. Um, that case now will sit before, uh, is before the Montana Supreme Court. Um, Kendall, um, wh- where else to go here? Uh, you know, I, I think we've got more arguments to make um, uh, regarding, I, I think, um, as we went into the break there, can you really identify an injury here, uh, as you say in this brief, peculiar to themselves? And I'm talking about the plaintiffs in this case. Well, what we would argue is no. That's the arguments that we make in our brief is that, you know, there is no real proof of, of a legitimate standing here for these 16 years to challenge these laws in court. There's no proof that uh, the, the Montana's contribution to climate change has any factor uh, into the injuries that they're claiming, like anxiety and losing sleep and allergies and things like that. Um, so we would argue no. Um, but you know, this, uh, for, for us, I mean, this, this goes even broader. I mean, this brings into the question of, 
uh, you know, just the mess that environmental permitting uh, and policy laws have become over the last 50 years. I think that that's uh, kind of another layer underneath this court case uh, that is certainly a factor. You know, and that's that's what we call lawfare nowadays. And I'm going to address that a little bit. We see that um, when it comes to our public lands, there was a timber sale that was recently um, objected, even though the timber sale had been approved. Environmental organizations do no longer collaborate. They just wait and, uh, and then and then bring lawsuits. Um, so we, we have come to a point where lawfare is a serious issue in our country. And I think um, would you say that that is what's happening here? Yes, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's driven by, you know, policy that was put in place back in the 1970s. And it started out well intended, but, you know, producing these detailed statements about environmental impacts has become, you know, it's just a bureaucratic nightmare that takes years and years to work through for anybody who wants to build anything in Montana. Um, and then in addition to that, even after you get a permit, you'll be facing litigation. And so a court case like this, is opening up the, the, the door and essentially making the target as big as you possibly can ma- could imagine for litigants to come in and challenge uh, any permitting decision to permit, you know, not just energy projects, but also subdivisions in Montana, anything that requires an environmental review, they can say, well, you haven't done enough analysis over the climate impacts of this project. Yeah, and, and that's an argument that you can't win because uh, the science is not entirely settled about this. Um, so it, it's always left up to a court to interpret, um, I think, something out of their, their jurisdiction, would you say? Well, and what's, what's interesting, Tom, is that it cuts both ways. Uh, one of the interesting factoids I, I, I was reading the other day was that uh, most of the planned and in-progress uh, projects that are in the hopper for environmental reviews uh, nationally that require, you know, these permits are actually clean energy projects like windmills and yeah. solar panels or building out uh, new transmission lines to strengthen our grid to accommodate, you know, all these electric cars that are popping up. So uh, it's, it's kind of hypocritical because um, a lot of these environmental groups use these broken environmental laws to challenge projects. But uh, at the end of the day, these broken environmental laws are even stopping projects that are actually good for the environment. Yeah, we're starting to see more and more of that coming around. Um, you've got a long list of co-signers here as well. Um, Taxpayer Association, the Association of Oil, Gas, and Coal Counties, United Property Owners of Montana, uh, the Buckeye Institute, uh, which uh, had a statement here, there simply is no judicial body capable of adjudicating the multifarious issues raised by global climate change. And there is no court that can bind the international community to its decisions. Uh, I find that a pretty uh, declarative statement there. Um, talk about right. get more about this impact. Go ahead. Well, right. So <laughs> that last statement, I think, brings up a good point. Uh, why is it the state of Montana that's being sued here? Why not uh, China, which has rapidly expanded its coal production over the last five years? Um, to produce more energy and kind of take advantage of the global market. They're producing a ton of carbon emissions. Uh, how can they seriously say that Montana and our small contribution you know, to global carbon dioxide emissions can possibly be the, be, uh, the driving force behind the injuries that they claim? 
Yeah, in in your uh, brief itself, I think you say uh, Montana is responsible if they look at the measurements now um, for carbon emissions, about 1% of the country's carbon emissions, and that percentage goes to about zero when you're looking at global emissions. Well, right. And then think about who's emitting. It's not just projects that are getting a permit, you know, an environmental permit. It's you and me breathing in and out all day long. It's you know, cows in the pasture uh, emitting methane. You know, these, these are, <laughs> everyone is responsible. Every human on earth is, is in part responsible in contributing to this. And so uh, the fact that this is a court case that it now is being decided and, you know, there's specific, there, there's injuries alleged is downright silly. I only got like about, it looks like two and a half minutes here, Kendall. And um, I appreciate this. I'm pointing people to the frontierinstitute.org. Read the brief. It is, uh, it's not full. Well, there's plenty of lawyer language in it, but uh, it's, it's very understandable. Uh, what else you guys got going on there? I know you guys are in a ton of different things. Yeah, well, well thank you. And, you know, for us, this, this uh, amicus brief and focusing on this Healthy Montana decision, it's part of kind of our broader focus at Frontier Institute on protecting Montanans' right to use their property. Too often, we've seen in Montana over the last couple decades that environmental rights are, they've been elevated to essentially be super rights, and we see litigation like this. But people forget that property rights are actually right there in the same line of the Constitution and are just as important. So that's uh, how we view these issues. We're also going to be working to expand uh, education freedom over the next few years. We want to make sure that parents have more options for uh, an education for their child. And uh, we can support people who want to be entrepreneurs and start up education businesses. Got a text message here. Um, Will a guest weigh in on um, a a Supreme Court rejecting so much legislation in the last year and uh, talking about a Supreme Court? Who is he supporting for a Supreme Court candidate? I I don't know if you want to throw that out there, but um, I know uh, that you guys are concerned about how much... um, how much authority the courts now have in our uh, branches of government. Yes. You know, like I mentioned, it's not just about this one case, this Hellview Montana case. It seems to be uh, some very clear patterns over the last few decades. And, you know, honestly, it goes back 50 years uh, through the creation of our, uh, you know, 1970s Constitution that the court has consistently sided with some interests and uh, ruled disfavorably on, on others. Yeah. And those interests, yeah, the, the favorable interests tend to be towards environmental litigants, um, you know, public sector unions and the government versus people and businesses in the state. I appreciate that. I appreciate, uh, you know, the hole wasn't dug overnight and so it's not going to be filled overnight as well, but uh, doing some of that important work, Kendall Cotton with the Frontier Institute. Take care, Kendall. Hope to hear from you soon. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. Please share and subscribe and let us know what you think. Email me at tom at voicesofmontana.com. And don't forget, we're on weekdays on your hometown radio stations all across Montana. We hope to hear from you there, too.